Welcome to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Bookler. I'm Chris Heine. And I'm Francesca Butchko. We are so sad. The cosmos just left us, although we can look up to the heavens every day if we want and see one star because we're in the city. But we'll look at that star and we'll think to ourselves, what it's a called nice... The sun. Oh, yeah, that one. We can see that one. And we, maybe one other one, too. Maybe two stars. The moon. I, I look at the sun and my eyes burn out and then I think to myself because I can't see anymore. What a nice, nice show that was. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, actually. So, at, first of all, um, big thanks to everybody that came out to the closing reception. Um, we turned all of the fiber optics back on and everyone was able to come in and see them in all of their glory and see the twinkling of the stars outside and inside, of course, on a nice Saturday afternoon. And then um, now I'm sitting there thinking, like, this giant fiber optic installation, I want to put it on my ceiling now. You could this if you one. Want. The, some of you guys who haven't been in the gallery um, may not have seen the giant. Like I think, what is this? Four feet by ten foot sparkly yeah. nebula mm-hmm. that's back here. Um, it's it's not a piece that was featured in the Cosmos deck, but it is a massive fiber optic thing. And so I, for real, I think I want to do that. I'm going to make a a four foot by ten foot home theater. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and put my TV right in the middle of it, put it on the ceiling and try not to crush myself to death. <laughs> so I have, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. That. I'm going to do that in the basement here of the gallery. So, but anyway, thank you to everybody that was a part of the Cosmo show. It really was fun putting this together over the last like bunch of months, you know, and I think it really was a, an awesome um, celebration this whole last month. So if you guys haven't seen it, um, if you never made it over to the gallery to see it in person, that's okay because it is documented online and you can see all the pieces. A ton of photos Chris took from the opening reception too are up on the Flickr page. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a link at the bottom of the Cosmos page uh, on the website too, and so you can click around in there. Yes, and just in case you haven't seen it yet, all the artwork is still on the shop. It'll be up through the end of the year. So in case you want to check out any of the really cool prints and artwork that was in the show, it's always there. And then as well as the Cosmos deck. So just in case you guys haven't seen that yet, um, it's a really beautiful deck with all 100 pieces, a really cool guidebook. Um, all the constellations and astro bodies have gold foil accents and gilded edges. That's a really nice thing. So thanks. Yeah. It's totally beautiful. And so, um, and yeah, and thanks to everybody who supported the project. Um, Again, we do these things to kind of create uh, like interactive elements to the shows. And of course, it's something we really care about. And of course, it helps, um, you know, support projects like that. So again, thanks to everybody who's gotten a deck or, you know, bought one as a gift or come in and said hi. All that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a couple things coming up at the end of the year that you guys should know about. Um, What's the first thing that's coming up? So we have Bowerbird that's opening in just about a week or so. Um, So December 4th from 7 to 10 p.m. we have the opening reception. So Bowerbird has 90 artists from around the globe that have each made a limited edition set of postcards that are all about their collections and personal artifacts and things they've sort of uh, accumulated over time. So it's a really cool celebration of like the art of curation, which will be really fun. So that'll be available and opening on the 4th. That's awesome. And then, of course, it's one of our swaps. I think every year we do one of these where we get all of the artists together, everybody makes a piece, and then because it's a swap, every artist involved gets uh involved gets a full collection of each Mm -hmm. piece that comes to the gallery so if you want to see the whole thing um, of course that'll be launching online as well on the website like grayartlab.com or definitely come in for the opening reception and see uh, see it in its full glory so as we get closer to the holidays um, you guys we will have all sorts of fun projects here from past shows Um, we'll have prints we'll have the Battle for Victor Nall uh, card game. You remember that? Um, we have a couple art books that we've made in the past too. If you are looking for a fun gift for somebody, we have tons of really great stuff. Patches and stitches things. We have jewelry from the Omnibus Treasury Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of cool things. So of course, as we get closer to whatever that horrible day after Thanksgiving. Black Friday? Yeah. The one where everybody tramples each other and, <laughs> you know, and whatever else. Um, yes. Of course, online we have everything. So we'll save you the trampling. Yeah. So that's true. And we'll be posting our holiday hours too through the new year so you guys can find out when to come, when to like get involved in different things. Uh, we just posted all the artists that will be participating in this year's Make My Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So we have about 50 or 60 pairs of artists that are making really cool gifts for each other and shipping them out this week. So if you haven't found your partner yet, uh, you should check out 
com slash blog. Yep. And when you do that, send a quick note to your partner. Introduce yourself. Say a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what's your thing, like how many cats you have. And then um, that way you can get to know somebody. So we do this every year as a way for people to find new friends across the globe. Um, And of course, as you guys know, we work with people all over the place and we're really trying to make the world a little bit, a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to find um, Mm -hmm. nice other art people. So that'll be really cool. So get in touch with your partner, uh, say hi. And then of course you guys are welcome to work it out between you, how you'd like to exchange stuff. So I'm really excited. I'm excited about my partner. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be really fun. We also have a really good annual event, the Lycra cookie party. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if you want to talk about that at all. Oh yeah, I would love to. So coming up on December 13th, um, it is a Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m., December 13th, Sunday, 1, 3 p.m. You guys mm-hmm. should come on over with a batch of your favorite cookies and a box or a tin or a bag or whatever else you're into. <laughs> and what we do is we create a whole huge table full of people's, like, dozens and dozens of cookies. And so you contribute yours and then you fill your giant box full of all sorts of other cookies that other people have brought. And so it's like a massive cookie exchange. We do have prizes um, for everybody. There is the most unique, the tastiest, and the best looking. Um, And so if you are uh, interested in participating, it's really casual, low-key stuff. And so we give away a couple prizes for people. But yeah, um, on the Facebook um, events page, Mm -hmm. if you want to claim a cookie, you are welcome to, in the comments, just say which ones you're bringing. And that way, if you're bringing the same thing, if you're doing M&M chocolate chip cookies or whatever, um, and you don't want anybody else to do it, go ahead and just declare it to the universe. Otherwise, just show up with whatever it is that you like. And then, of course, take a bunch home. So it's really fun. So we'll have uh, coffee, tea, and ice cold milk here for everybody. So you can just fill up while you're here. We'll all sit around for a couple hours. So um, again, that is Sunday. December 13th from 1 to 3. So it's real short, totally open to the public. Bring anybody you want, and it should be a lot of fun. So, um, And then I say it every time we do a podcast about how I'm supposed to put out a call for art here. <laughs> I think I may may have done it. This weekend. This weekend. I might have done it this weekend. We're not sure because we record the podcast a little earlier than the weekend is over. But maybe, maybe somewhere on there is a call for art. And if so, uh, great. Um, So check that out. Um, And of course, we'll post about it and send out a newsletter too. So uh, that's really good. Mm -hmm. And we also have a game night coming up, don't we? Yep. We have a game night actually right before the cookie party. Not immediately before, but that week. It's December 10th from 630 to 930 p.m. Um, and the theme is ice cold. Mm. So we'll be playing, I don't know, all sorts of cold, Dead of games. Winter. cold games. Dead of Winter. It's pretty cold Arctic out. Scavengers. What's that Mount Everest one? Yeah. Or K2. K2. Uh, yeah, if you play with me, I'm, histor- I'm you like play, accurate. What's that, what's that game where you put marbles on a tissue? Is that a what? Game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like a child game. You put like a Kleenex yeah, and then and a then bunch of wet tissue or um, wet water marbles. bottle and spraying it from the bottom on someone else's turn. Yeah. What's it called? Francesca, know. do you know? I've never game. heard of this. I have never heard of that. It's like my parents used to give me an empty Band-Aid box and, and they'd put one marble in it and that was supposed to be a uh, game. <laughs> it sounds That's like one of those game. games. Where you're this like, is a real game. This is a game where you put a tissue on a thing and put wet marbles on it. Oh, they're wet marbles? Yeah. Huh. Icebreaker or something. Or ice. Oh, I think I get it. I think I already understand the concept of the game. Anyway, we might be playing that if I can find it. You own it? Okay. No. Nope. Just make oh. it. Oh, you need some marbles. It's like Jenny's Kleenex game. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. fine. If you have a Kleenex game of your own and you want to bring it to Ice Cold, you definitely should do that. And um, so that's you the 10th. Yeah. And that's the 10th. And then there's also one on the 17th, which is a little bit earlier than normal. So just be aware that there's two in a row. So. Oh yeah, definitely. And then, um, that's, I don't know, that's about it. So we've got, uh, of course, all these things at the end of the year. And of course, if you, um, are getting ready for the holidays or time, you know, time off or whatever you're doing, um, we'll keep you posted with all these extra things as we get closer to whatever year it's going to be. What is it? 2016. You know, as a product designer, I'm always working in the 17s and I'm just like, where am I? What is this? And so 2016, what a, what a weird concept. 
Let's just all think about Unbelievable. it for a second. <laughs> I know. We were like, what? What did I tell you, Francesca? I was like, you're going to, you have a birthday next year like everybody does, you know? And yeah. I was just like, what's, well, the, the best part about it is that you're still alive. Yeah. The best, that's <laughs> the best part about it. I think I said that once. Birthday. And that's what was the best part of New Year's. Just still being alive. <laughs> yeah. Not that's a great holiday. Good. I don't know. I would say that's probably the best part about everything, right? You know, like that's, you could, it's certainly not the worst part about it. About no. any holiday? There's way better parts. Okay. All right. There's a, <laughs> all right, the cake. So, okay. So, um, we had a conversation yesterday for one minute and Jenny brought up that she, uh, had been reading which is very nice <laughs> yes thing <laughs> that's a luxury and so tell us what you were reading jenny so this is like a combination of a couple of things that have been happening this week but i was reading this article in the new york times about um extinction and so it was specifically talking about like mass extinction and how different kinds of specimens and animals survive and it is always the smaller like specimens and the smallest animals are the ones who make it through because they can burrow or hide or they don't need as much to survive as some of the bigger animals. So like dinosaurs, elephants, woolly mammoths, anything that's sort of bigger and needs more to sustain itself are the ones that are first to go. And so fossils and everything have proved that this is something that happens. And part of the reason I was thinking of this is because at the last game night we played evolution and everyone's building up their animals and building up their body size and building up their population and trying to make them as big and tough as possible. But then a lot of them fade out because they can't feed themselves. So it's funny how the game works. I don't know if you want to describe the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a game. It's called Evolution um, by North Star Games. And it's basically you're just... Um, creating species and you can either create multiple species or kind of focus on one species and you basically attach traits to each species whether they climb trees or whether they're carnivores or whether they uh, have defensive herding all sorts of different um, kind of evolutionary traits and you're competing for food with everyone else around the table so there's things that help you get food faster or earlier um but then you also have to worry about what other people are doing because food will inevitably run out. It's impossible to, I think, go to the end of the game and still have food in the in the kind of communal food supply. So people will eventually become carnivores. So you have to worry about getting food, but also protecting yourself, um, which has a lot to do with increasing your body size and, and giving your things like climbing trees or all sorts of things. But you can only have a certain amount of traits, but you can swap them out. So everyone's kind of constantly evolving these species in front of them. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's it was actually made by a science teacher originally mm -hmm. to teach evolution, um, and then this company kind of saw it, picked it up, and and streamlined it a little bit, and yeah. then so put like, it on the game. But it does a really good job of making you kind of, I mean, it, obviously this is not how evolution works, where you're just like, I'm going to play this card because this person is obviously gearing up to eat somebody, yeah. so I'm going to start defending myself, but. Um, it does, you, you know, you, you're making a species and you're like, this is what I'm doing. And then something else happens and then you react and you're like, uh, actually I think maybe I should evolve a hard shell yeah. and, and defend well, and myself. Sometimes or, in the game too, my, like I'm if you dead. can only have a couple traits per species that you're working on. So like sometimes you would give up like having a hard shell or being able to climb to warn your other characters about, uh, impending danger or something. So sometimes it's not just like traits you're putting on yourself it's also like trying to protect your other people and things that you're building up so it is funny and like part of this article is also talking about like the size over time like this is actual size over time species over time have gotten smaller like all animals have slowly gotten like a smaller version of themselves so that they can survive easier in like a mass extinction so i don't know in that game if you have any like magic combo of qualities now that you've played it a couple times if you're like i'm definitely gonna put these two things together all no. i did when i played it was i made giant tortoises <laughs> i was like just a rock it's basically just a rock the whole time i think it's totally who you're playing with i don't think there's a magic combo it's just you're looking at what's around you and kind of adapting to that situation so i have a thing that goes along with that okay for a second so as we all know what was it six months ago um national geographic was purchased by um, Fox. I think it was like one month ago or something. Was it only a month ago? Jeez, it seems like it's forever ago. <laughs> and so um, I get National Geographic in the month. Uh, in the month? 
<laughs> in the mail every I month. Get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it in the mail every month. Um, and it's my favorite magazine. It's absolutely my favorite. It's got everything from culture to like you know world news to um, you know climate to animal stuff to whatever archaeological stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. at, have you guys read it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, it's the best. So I was a little concerned because at any point in time when anything changes with the thing that you like, it's going to change. You know it's going to change. So in their case, um, Chris read me an article the other day too that goes along with our conversation where about, what, 9% of the staff was laid off. Um, And I know that that is just a natural part of cutting the fat of a large um, you know, entity. I think in any case, when a business changes hands, they go in and they try and figure out what's efficient and what's not. And then they just get rid of the excess stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting hearing stuff like that because I feel like a lot of people are reacting to the cuts in a way that they're like, oh, this guy that you cut is super talented. And this person that's been on the senior staff is super talented. And of course they are. Because otherwise, why, why would, would they, they be, be there? Yeah. Yeah. But then I also know that that is just part of how things go. So I was sitting there thinking about it and wondering what exactly was going to change with this magazine and whether or not certain things were not going to be in the, um, you know, in the content anymore. But I was, I was thinking about how National Geographic in general is a huge um, supporter of finding new, like, things that have evolved obviously they just report on it all the time in every single kind of thing and I was wondering whether or not that change of cutting their staff or being purchased or whatever was actually going to force them to do something else so what you read to me Chris was that the reason that they're re-looking at all the staff and things is that they're allotting resources to the tv channels so the magazine itself is only a tiny part of a bigger entity for National Geographic. Obviously, they, up until recently, they were a um, nonprofit. I think they're still a nonprofit. Really? Which I don't, not, really, I don't a... understand how that works, but the articles were still referring to them as a nonprofit. I thought they were going to a for profit. We should oh, check. Oh, maybe they are. I don't know. But well, all the articles were very, like, I, I looked at like 10 articles and they all had different information and they were all skewed very differently in how the information is reported. Yeah. So, what I think is interesting about that is I, I would really like to think that the staff there is able to bounce back no matter what kinds of changes, even if they have a smaller staff. I mean, 10% or 9% is something. It's not nothing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but I am really interested to see if there is a subtle change. I mean, I've been reading National Geographic since I was a kid. And so I'm sure there are some things that I will notice that are slightly different now that I'm hypersensitive to the fact that my favorite thing has some... some Like internal changes. Yeah. yeah. There, but what's also interesting about that, and I'll, maybe I'll ask your opinion or if you have something to say about these things, that'd be great. But So downstairs, right next to my desk, I have a poster. Um, and it says, too small to fail on it. And it's a picture of a bicycle. Um, and I think it was made by uh, Aesthetic Apparatus that mm-hmm. I got at a at a poster show, bike poster show. And I love that poster because I think to myself like every day, and I think it's especially um, poignant for a freelancer because <laughs> you're like the only person that you have to worry about your stuff is you. You know, I'm not going to shave 10% off of myself unless I'm going to lose like, you know, 20 pounds or something like that. <laughs> but I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, you know... That's pretty amazing. Too small to fail. It's kind of like what you said, Jenny, about mm-hmm. the you know microbes or like the tiny organisms. And you're like, well, who do, who do you have to push the blame on? So, Francesca, when you were talking about what's going on with the, the postcard printing or whatever, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that sort of um, just recently because I was going to say the, the I was going to talk about this poster that I have. And I was like, well, when there's two people involved, there's twice the amount of of stuff that's going on. You know, if there's four people involved, if there's 20 people involved, you know, and it becomes a, like a series of actions that are very dependent on the rest of your crew. If you think about like herds of buffalo or like Mm -hmm. flocks of birds and the choices that they make as a team, you know, I'm sure that if you lose 10% of your birds, 
still looks like a bunch of birds, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you lose one out of 10 people in a, in a situation, I, everybody else has to sort of take on the, you know, the responsibility of whoever else is around them. And of course the, the company or the team or the whatever else is going on, family or whatever evolves in a different kind of way. So why do you think that that scale matters so much? You would think that maybe with a hundred people losing 10 people, you wouldn't have to worry about it as much because you'd be like, oh, there's a billion people here still. Yeah. Well, you I know? was just trying to think of like, because of course this article is talking about mass extinction, but if you equate it to like the recession or the great depression or like a big, uh, I don't know, a big dive in finances. Yeah. Like, of course, the banks collapse or other things like that, that like you would think are strong institutions. But there's all there are also lots of businesses that are like, we've been around since 1850 or things like that. And you're trying to think of what combination of things made this thing so successful for such a long time. Right. Um, what do you think that is? Do you think it's just perseverance or do you think it's adapta- adaptation or do you think yeah, it's Yeah, maybe like- both. I mean, if you had a specific kind of company since the 1800s like of course it's probably had to adapt with like the technology and, <laughs> and also the trends what, and whatever else yeah or like if it's paper company like paper technology and anything else you know changes over time i don't know if there's actually like the perfect combination of things that would make something like a combination if you were like here are my three traits like one would be like perseverance and like adaptability and also something that is isn't just like a one-off something you're like belt buckles or well, it something, have to be that something <laughs> it would have to be something that you can imagine like how different life was that long ago uh-huh. and what things even could exist in this day and age and still be relevant it's, yeah so you have to be like super adaptable a company that um has been around since the 1800s or yeah 1889 is nintendo Oh, wait, what? What did they do back they then? Ma- they, <laughs> I think they used to make playing cards, but they they have they are literally over a hundred years old. That's wow. crazy. So when you think about that, I mean, obviously, when you think about Nintendo, you think like eighties. Is was like it really like a couple guys in a shop back then, or was I it? I have no idea. Okay, but I mean, it was a it was a big. I think it, I know they at, for a while it was like they were a big playing card company. I don't know if that's what they started as. But good they've for been them. That makes me they, feel good. I don't know. I really <laughs> like that. I feel like did that, they do they still make playing cards? Do they ever um, sell playing cards? I don't know. I don't, not that I know of. But be cool probably. to have a deck of playing cards by Nintendo. I bet they do just as like a historical treat, but. Um, treat like for the nintendo club or whatever reward yeah. members but um but it's funny because they obviously have adapted like a ton but they still kind of remained in this in, like, core category that area. they were in yeah they, yeah they were like a card company and then now they are a the 20th century version of cards is video games also it's so. funny because of the the big console uh, companies i feel like they make the least amount of changes these days. yeah so maybe I know, it's they're known as a for being company. like glacially not into change but maybe that is part of the perseverance is they're just like we're going to keep doing what we're doing yeah we're going to adapt with the market but we're not in any hurry to jump on trends and, and bandwagons yeah what's well, funny like something like a card game is something that it, you buy once and then you have it and like during a great depression or a recession like i find that people are playing more games because they're not going out and spending money or anything Mm -hmm. like that so it's something that can survive like actually i was just listening to the recent 99 percent invisible and it was about monopoly like the most hated game ever (laughs) i hate that game so much but it was talking about a similar thing like what it came out of was somebody there's two versions and one was the capitalist version and then the other version was like a warning against capitalism and how you can work together in that game and then the monopoly side took over so it was like originally i think it was called rent or something like that <laughs> that's exciting <laughs> <laughs> so, sad. so it it switched into more of the capitalist version but it's funny because it's not they were saying that it's not a game that people necessarily love or want to play you're just sort of like there's a weird nostalgia about it because it's mm-hmm. been around for such a long time that your parents teach their kids it because they used Except to play for they it don't because no one plays by the right rules well that's yeah. the thing that's what i like about it is that you you make your own rules for that game and if we're talking about <laughs> but the game's so depressing <laughs> i actually like that game but it's oh, because no. i don't play with the right rules that's why i like it i when mean i feel like the race car no i just put money on everything 
Because then you're just uh, getting money from whatever. But that's the problem. That's the yeah. awesome part about if, it. You're, look at you got like colorful money. Just it's, it's like being so in Europe, depressing. kind of fancy paper money. <laughs> yeah, pa- fancy paper, colorful money, do. and then you put I said it on nasty paper, <laughs> not fancy paper money. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> what if it was coins though? That would be cool, right? Yeah, yeah, but it like weigh like cards. a billion pounds. The point is, I like it because if you make up your own rules and you have taken this like weird core concept and you're putting, you're doing whatever you want with it. Like, if you if you're practically having fun the way that you would like to have fun with it then it is a successful yeah i don't know well, iteration saying, but if you say that then you're basically saying i don't like monopoly i like to just like no. use the pieces to make yeah. my own game well what the point of it was i mean i have a learned experience with it yeah well what they're saying is it's not necessarily a good thing it's not necessarily a good game or a good concept or fun it like breaks <laughs> all the rules of board games the only reason it survived this song is from nostalgia I don't know. I think people still play because they like it. Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. We'll take a poll. I'm going to make a Twitter poll. Yeah, you should make a Twitter poll. And I'll be like, who I'm actually curious. likes this game? You know what I really like is a tiny metal dog. Yeah, I like the <laughs> tiny See, metal the And the tiny metal iron. And if they ever not make them out of metal, that'd be sad. Anyway. Didn't they update them and now it's like a McDonald's french fry or something? What? That would be <laughs> horrible. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, because McDonald's have the the McDonald's. I don't know. I did. Monopoly, whatever thing. They do. Yeah, they do. But anyway, I was wondering when you were asking like different qualities to make something survive, like they were saying that the only reason Monopoly Monopoly has survived is from like a weird nostalgia memory thing and nothing else. Because there's plenty of way better board games. I also think it's, it's easy to skin. Like we own Seattle Monopoly, so... That's cool. So you're part of it. But the I mean, problem. you could just put anything you want in there. I actually have never opened it up. I kind of want to go and look at what's See, see what nobody looks are. at it. Nobody plays <laughs> is it. That how you Jenny's got, bias is showing through Francesca really bad. Francesca got Seattle, or moved to Seattle, and she's like, I'm going to buy this Monopoly. And she opened it up, and she's like, the first place we got to go is wherever Boardwalk is. <laughs> and then we got to yeah. avoid anything that's Oh, Baltic so you Avenue. used it as a map? Did you just unfold it and <laughs> take it on the bus? I haven't even looked at it yet. Hey. I kinda, I'm curious, though, because I, I do want to know what Boardwalk <laughs> like, is. My city's a square. <laughs> I just looked it up and they, I, it's not the official Monopoly, but they did a Monopoly version called Here and Now and they did change the pieces and there is a car, but it's more of like a modern looking car, like, just a, a, like, a, like Ford. a Ford or a sedan a or something. Ford? And then it's there is a familiar. tennis shoe. There is a laptop. There yeah. is a, a dog, but it's sitting. I don't want to be sitting. reminded of my it's, work while it I'm is, playing a game. It is uh, sitting down and well behaved, not standing up like that. Rapscallion from the 1920s the or whatever. You mean the dog? There is an airplane. Yeah. No, I like the standing is up it, dog. I know. Well, He's now it's sitting. There is an airplane. There is a cell phone and it has the Motorola That's logo stupid. on it. And then there's, there phone? is a McDonald's french fry. I wonder is how much they paid for that. Phone? Is it like, is it a cell phone from 1920s? It, it is a, razor? a flip phone. It is a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a flip phone. They need to figure that out. It's a uh, gauge. Nobody knows what that is. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I feel like you shouldn't mess with classics like that, though. That's not that's yeah, not. Who would want to be the McDonald's French fry? <laughs> that's the saddest. That's like when they take the logos of really nice things and then they mush them around and make them dumb and new and cool and they put some sunglasses on it and some jorts on it. <laughs> what logo is this? No. <laughs> that's the worst. That's the worst thing. They should never do that to anybody's logo. Oh, man. So I guess that's my other question then. The things that are super adaptable and change a lot over time. Or there's the ones that are like, we've been the same and have the same menu since 1950. Well, here's why that this is interesting. Okay. You, there is a weird, uh, a period of weirdness that you Mm -hmm. have to live through before it becomes cool again. If your hair was the same since the 80s, right? Yeah. And then you lived into the 90s, people would be like, what are you doing? And then if you lived into the 2000s and then like so on and so forth, eventually you would go full, full circle and your 80s hair would become an amazing rock and do. <laughs> and then people would appreciate it for its nostalgic quality. Right. But if you were to just just a little bit too long, you're still wearing your Jenko jeans a little bit too long. Like that's not that that's not enough time for that to become a good idea. anymore. Yeah. People need to forget what it used to be and just remember it or like be born after it to realize yeah, like what it is cool it if you yeah. lived through it it's like when i when i was seeing the 90s come back like i felt good about that for a second but i was also kind of like that's weird that some of these weird outfits are coming back like the long maxi skirts i still can't look at that and be okay with it 
you know and yeah. i'm just like this is exactly like what every single person wore in the early 90s you know or mid mm-hmm. or mid to early 90s and then you're just like oh god these times what's even <laughs> happening you know yeah so if something came back from like the 40s or the 50s you'd be okay with it i think most people are because they never lived in it Okay. Unless you're an ancient person, you live through it and you can remember it. Maybe you'd be happy. I feel like that's hap- it happens with music sometimes too. And they, you know, there's whatever mm-hmm. that one guy's um, Nathaniel Ratcliffe. Yeah. His mm-hmm. song that sounds like it came right out of the fifties, and I'm like, thank God this happened because this is great because yeah. that that era is fantastic. Of course, I was not alive during that, but I yeah. but also I have a nostalgia for it. Also, listen to the fifties every single day at work. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like something about it that you're like, this is charming. I don't understand it. I like it because I don't understand it because I was never there. And it's not attached to the rest of like what was happening in mm-hmm. the world. It's just this like interesting thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that is what happens. It has to be long enough that people forget most of the connotations. Because again, as you can see with everybody's branding these days, you know, and it's slowly changing again. But in the last like five years, people have doing been doing the throwback to the 20s and the 30s, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of a like everything in Uptown is black and white now, you know. Yeah. And then you're thinking about it, you see it all over the place. and You're like, well, this isn't going to last forever either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That so, makes sense. But still, that's kind of how I feel about that. I feel like that's that's it. I I think people's hair, people's pants, those are two good <laughs> indications of uh-huh. like newness and evolution don't you think yep it's the modern day are you gonna are you gonna evolve your pants or not yeah are you, you gotta gonna... make them smaller to survive h&m has bell bottoms again yeah i'm not i'm never gonna wear bell i'm bottoms. not into that and i, I don't <laughs> no. understand how that even happened and who put that there <laughs> apparently somebody thinks it's a good idea no it's not it's not a good idea Anyway, so now you know the evolution of pants. Works yeah. In also, boots way. are getting higher and higher now. They're like thigh highs, which is not okay. <laughs> Do you think you think somebody who was born five minutes ago is going to end up wearing all the yeah. thigh highs? That somebody born yesterday is probably thinks that thigh highs are normal. Yeah, there's some baby walking around in thigh highs right now. <laughs> thinking it's cool you know they're like i did that when i was a child that's why i'm nostalgic and then every time they look at a pair of thigh high boots they're like that's the way it was so sad my mom was my mom was on ebay with me the other day i taught her how to do ebay and she typed in swing coat and then everything she found was from like the late 50s early 60s those big like kind of long coats oh with yeah the giant fur collars it's just like a tube that you would wear mm-hmm. in the 60s you know mm-hmm. And she's does like, she, does she want one of those? She did. Well, she's like, they're called a swing coat. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So we typed it in and everything that was called a swing coat was from the 60s. It was an actual artifact that mm-hmm. showed up. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's what people call them these days. If you want a modern swing coat, I don't know. Somebody might have named it something else. Yeah, because everything know. that was showing up was like a vintage item. Like a like a big pea coat or something? Uh, Yeah, I'm not really sure. It's just like a like a loose coat with a nice collar. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just what they're called. But you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like people change the names of of stuff because that's the cool thing to to call it these days, even if it is exactly the same as it was like a billion years ago. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But anyway, I do think um, when I was thinking about that National Geographic thing, I was trying to figure out like how I actually like what kind of opinion I actually have on change that you can't control um, from a different perspective. When I was talking about National Geographic and I was saying that, you know, sometimes somebody comes in and forces change and then everybody has to adapt, right? Adaptability is a different thing than actually choosing to move forward and try and figure out what you are personally going to do to change. And so I was thinking about that and I was like, well, I really want to take I was telling Jenny this, I want to go to South America and I can understand Spanish like 1%. And I would really like to be better at that because I would like to get around. And I I don't want to just have conversational Spanish. Someday I would like to talk to um, people about things that aren't just about, can I can I buy something or can I eat here or where's the bathroom? You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want to just have that. I want to have real conversations with people. And so I was thinking about how an experience like learning a language or about learning a different kind of like style or tool, you know, I'm teaching Mm -hmm. tools of the trade where people are learning new mediums all the time. Every time you'd have something like that be influencing the rest of your 
career. You learn it once and you don't forget it. You may not mm-hmm. be the best at it. Like I might not know how to speak Spanish perfectly, but it would make a big difference in where I'd be comfortable traveling or how I could get around or what kinds of risks I take as a human being. Mm-hmm. Have you found that you in the last several years have made big life decisions to move forward that actually have evolved your practice or your life in a certain way. I I think so. I remember last year when I decided to start waking up early and I feel like that did a massive <laughs> number on how things worked. And so like what what happened to you then? I had more time to do stuff and I mean, I do fall asleep earlier, which is interesting, but I feel like I have more daylight time to do things. And so I found I could fit more things in the day. Like there was at one point where I, uh, I'm trying to think now back to when I first did this, but I like, I would have a session in the morning of doing like some work thing. And then I would go to the office and then I remember I would teach and then I'd come back and do something else. So it sort of expanded the amount of things that I could do. And that was a huge change for me. I mean, did it make you a different person? I think it did. I don't think I would be where I am if I hadn't started doing that. Why was that such a big difference, though, if it's just moving your hours around? Because you could have just stayed up later, right? Like, wh- what yeah. was the difference between just moving your hours to the beginning of the day? What what made that know. the biggest I'm thing? not really sure why it was like that. I uh, Maybe it's just because more people are accessible in the morning. But I... Not me. Yeah, I'm not accessible in the morning. Jenny was like, why aren't you here for the podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, just a second. And I rolled out of bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I was like, okay. I, got I don't know. But I do, I believe in things like that. Like, I don't think you need a massive change. I think you need a small change that is a little bit more, like, that penetrates more than the things you do. And those are the things that are really going to make, like, a, a severe change to everything. It so takes waking- a little longer. Waking up early doesn't necessarily seem like the kind of change that you understand what the benefits would be right off the bat. I don't really know, and and this is my question for you or for you guys. If I say I'm going to go learn Spanish, I can sort of extrapolate what happens if I know Spanish now, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, If I say I'm going to wake up earlier, I have no idea what that's going to lead to. And that's why I was wondering, Francesca, did you have something in mind that you were like, I need to be doing this because only things are open during these hours and therefore that's how this, like, how this works into my system? Or did you just do it because you were like, this is me being proactive? I think it also changed my perspective on things. So I also, I am actually taking a foreign language class right now. I'm on my third one and it has not really, it, it, I have more knowledge about symbols on paper. I know a few more words and I could say a few things kind of, but it has not had a lasting impact that I, like, I feel like if I don't keep this up and if I don't expose myself to that language constantly for the next five years, I will lose everything or I will, the thing that I learned will be almost useless. Um, because it's so little amount of information in comparison to like learning a whole language. But like changing a small thing in my daily routine could even improve my, that language. Like if I decided, well, okay, maybe I wake up a half hour earlier every day and practice every single day, that seems like it might have more of a beneficial impact than I took a class, if that makes sense. Really? I think so. I mean, That's I'm not funny. saying the class isn't isn't good. It is good, but but one thing... It just and, gives you more time in the week or something? Yeah, well, like for instance, so I've I've also tutored a lot and most of the tutoring that I've done has been either in product design or in digital programs and the best students that I've ever had have been the ones that after I teach them how to do something in Illustrator they go and every week make something in Illustrator and they might only have like I mean I've had a few students that I've had for years but um, a lot of the students I have maybe five sessions with them tops but I can see them improve online and I see that they're improving because they have made a point to like to do it every day, just a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a practice or something. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that has a bigger impact on your life than it's cool to like take a class, but like it, it doesn't necessarily 
mean that you're going to have that information forever. Yeah. Well, I guess for your circumstances, like, you know that you're going to be traveling to China a couple times a year. So at least you have, like, an opportunity to practice it. I know, right. like, Lindsay, you were going to try and learn Chinese a couple years ago or Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And then... And then what happened? You didn't have anyone to talk to. Well, it wasn't just that. I just, I, I was like... If, if I have three minutes of free time, I should probably be making this game I said I would be making. <laughs> and so therefore, I was choosing things based on that. But I do think, I guess in the opposite way of what how you deal with this, Francesca, and maybe you guys have a thought about this, I, I always think about, like, what am I going to do with this? Is this a useful endeavor? Like, I don't, I don't always know how it's going to play out, but I do kind of have an idea of what I'm going to be doing with this newfound thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of a way that I approach new content is I'm like, I'm taking this pottery class because it's fun, but then I'm also like, and then I know how to use this, 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 and this, and this, and mm-hmm. I could make this and this and this and this and this, you know, mm-hmm. because otherwise I don't think anybody would try anything else, but it totally does influence everything. So this class I'm teaching, Tools of the Trade, is all about trying a new medium every two weeks. And I know some of that stuff's not going to stick, but there are things that will resonate with you because you are in the mindset to try something. And then maybe one of those will sort of work its way into your your way of working you know yeah like I'm, well, I may not be a potter with my class thing but I don't think I'll forget it though that's the thing maybe that's the difference no. between memorization well it's also maybe languages and, and yeah one's like a muscle like a, memory like one is like, like riding a bicycle where you're like I remember you know you might not be as good when you come back to it but like languages fall away pretty fast if you don't use them that makes sense I mean and, and if you had an end goal with your language and you're like well the point of me taking these Mandarin classes is to be good at talking to people when I go here you know, or wherever I am. Right. And, and I think there's value to taking a class with a specific reason. And I know Francesca's specific reason is learning Chinese because she works with Chinese vendors. She's traveling to China several times a year, things like that. So there is a very concrete, like, outcome for why this would be a good thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to just if one day I was just like, you know what, I think I'm going to learn a random language just because. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like learning a random language. If I, I didn't have, have like some application for it, it, w- it would make it really difficult. And whenever I try and teach people, especially Illustrator, um, because it's a really uh, unintuitive program for people who don't know why they want to use it. Right. They're just like, I have to use Why you wouldn't just use Photoshop or something like that. It's kind of like, yeah. I wouldn't even bother teaching someone just to learn it. If they had an application for it, then... That's how I'm sure your tutoring thing works, Francesca, where somebody knows what they're trying to do with it. And then that makes it a lot easier. It's like when I learned the code for the great personality games, I had a a purpose. I didn't just like sit around and click around in there. And and when I was in school, I tried to learn Illustrator, but I didn't really understand why I needed it. And then one day I showed up, I think maybe it was at Target. Yeah. And they're just like, we only use Illustrator. And I was like, like, okay. And I learned more in like the first week than I learned entirely anywhere else just because now I had to, and there was a reason why I wouldn't just be like, I'm quitting this. I'm going to go back to Photoshop. I'm you know, just going to go back to one thing, drawing on paper or whatever. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting is you said, if I don't have a reason to do this, well, okay. One, one concept I have that I actually really like, it's like the romantic version of something is I have this perception that, um, in the last, I don't even know, like two months. I'm like, when I am an old lady, I would love to have this like, um, big, library full of books that I actually have read um and I would also like to feel like a well-read well-versed scholar of some sort so maybe a couple languages would be great stuck in there that I could travel and I could talk to people or I have this like perception of what I'm going to evolve into as an old person like that would be the coolest if I actually was like, if that's all I had as a motivation to do some of these things was just to be the person that I thought would be like the the most interesting version of myself that far out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like I know life enrichment. Life enrichment. Like you yes. can't really control exactly if it's going to turn out that way, but it would be pretty cool if if you're like, I mean, you're not necessarily just nobody's just sitting there being like on paper what are you how many languages do you know like nobody asks you about your resume right when you're a billion years old right but but it is pretty self-satisfying when you're like i have tried 
this, 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 and every single step of that has somehow affected the other things that I've done. And of course you would change your mind. You know, if I don't want to be a scholar later, that's totally fine. If I'm not able to do that cause I'm not smart enough or something, that's fine too. <laughs> but it, but the concept of it might be enough to drive me to try. Yeah. You know, well, I guess like I was trying to think of something that has been a shift in the last couple of years. Like, of course I think that I have traveled more in the last couple of years, but also years ago I used to read a lot more, theory which was nice and it was it was directly influential to my practice and I hadn't done a ton of reading the last couple of years just because like I don't know things are busy and it's really hard to justify reading when you have a lot of other things to do so this past year I have I didn't do any of my resolutions by the way but I did <laughs> I have read a lot more um, and I've like made that a point to like take the time to read something and yeah. actually like finding um, both like nonfiction and fictional books that are interesting and that like spark some sort of curiosity. So I have like made it an intention to read more, which is good. See, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I feel like you can't always plan it, but sometimes it just naturally happens in a certain mm-hmm. way and all of a sudden you gravitate towards something. I feel like that's how all my topical obsessions go. Mm-hmm. I think I'm still stuck in the magic zone. I don't know that- how that happened. That might be how it works too. Like when you're saying about that, having that vision of who you want to be, like, I, yeah. I know what that, I, I know what you mean. And sometimes I like to think like that. Like, I'll have a random thought. Wouldn't it be cool to be a botanist? Like, that's a good, that's a good or look. archaeologist. Yeah. yeah, I'd put that on my. Me too. Yeah, but that'd be cool. I also am viewing it from a really naive viewpoint of that sounds cool, that looks cool in my head, but I don't yeah. actually know what that entails. And I think that's okay, though, because how would you know? Like no, you, you, would, you... you might explore it a little bit, but I think what I find more likely is that like you're becoming who you are through sort of what partially what you decide and partially what is happening to you. So you're reacting to the things that are happening to you. Like I never would have taken Chinese if I didn't go to China. Like I'll say that straight up. It's too hard. It's way too hard. <laughs> but but I, I'm kind of happy that it happened. But I like a year ago, I would not have been like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing that. That's going to be how I'm spending all my time now. But well, but it's cool that it does happen like that. Yeah. I mean, but that's a funny thing. If you look back at your chain of events, I mean, you you took a job where mm-hmm. you knew it was part of it. So it's not like you weren't totally oblivious to the fact that you're going to be no. going to China. That was the first time that it, it kind of like occurred to me that, that it was a thing. Yeah. I mean, because it was brought up in the the um, job description was potentially speaking Mandarin if you could, but it was right. not a requirement. But then, but the the point is, I guess it didn't happen to you. You, you, you pursued no. the job and you knew it was a part of the thing. True. So you, so I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't know how much stuff just randomly happens to you. No, and I don't think it's completely random, but that part feels like it was an, it was an added piece that I was not, it's like a minor. Don't it we was, talk about it that was sometimes? Very, like, it was very far from my mind when I was applying. I was very, very far from Like, I was not thinking about it at all. I was like, that is the least of my concerns right now. It's like a side effect? It was, yeah, it's a minor. And it was like it was to the point where I was like, I really don't want to think about it because, like I said, it was one of the things that were like, this would be a nice to have. And I was like, please make it so I don't have to do that because that is – I don't know where I would – the other thing is like a year ago, I would be like, when am I going to – study Chinese like that's ludicrous um and I think that you know things sort of happen and then it sorts itself out and then you find there's a place for it because if I didn't have the time to do it when I started I wouldn't have done it you know I would have said like well no time for that and I would just push it aside and now it's become such a priority that I make time for it instead well that's of what I was gonna things. say I feel like that's how you that's how everything has to work you have to make time for it and it's because you're kind of planning your own evolution. You can't, I mean, it's probably really rare when somebody just is like, I got so much time. What do I do with this? Yeah. You know, I don't but, even know if I know a single person that gets to do that. But do you get to plan your own evolution though? Because I think. I think so. I feel like the whole entire thing is totally you making like little tiny choices. Right. And then looking at whatever opportunities are with that. And then just, again, another little choice but i think all of those are very planned well, i think, I think it's super rare that things just randomly show up and you're like 
what is this? Oh, okay, sounds good. Well, but that's my perspective. I don't think yeah. that that's. But you do know. you think making decisions as a reaction counts as planning, though? Like, like do you think? Yeah, because you would have thought about your alternative. You know, like if if somebody's like, you're either gonna oh like National Geographic thing. They're they're like, well, you could either stay on as a junior reporter instead of a senior reporter, or I'm going to give you a nice severance package and you can possibly go to another magazine and get a higher paying thing. You would have that choice. And you would not exactly know, but you would have the, you would probably sit there and weigh all your options, right? And you'd be like, well, I love National Geographic. Maybe I should stay here. Or you'll be like, what's most important to me priority wise is continuing to have the voice that I have. So I'm going somewhere else, you know, doing this and this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's why I think that, yes, you're in charge of your, your choices, even if the the catalyst for change wasn't something that you knew was coming. Well, but you know? I think you're in charge of your choices. But like, so say two years from now, you're you're given a series of you have like four decisions to choose from. Like at this point, it's almost impossible to guess what that that decision making is even about because two years from now, who even knows? Like I I could not even begin to fathom what two years from now is even like, but you know that you will have, when that time comes, you will be making the decision. You just, it's out of your power what the decision might entail or what it might be. What I guess I don't understand. Be. What do you mean? I think it's just your guys' d- difference, difference in, in, yeah, it's the semantics. You, like a, your plan, Lindsay, is like uh, option is presented to you and then you choose your idea. Whereas yeah. a plan could be, you know, I will become an astronaut. And if you kind of deviate from that plan, then your plan has, instead of being like going to your first astronaut class and being like, actually, maybe I will become a mathematician and then go to your first mathematician class and be like, actually, I will become, you know, a physicist, a physicist or, or just be like, um, eh, never mind. I'm just going to be an artist or whatever. <laughs> that happens to every astronaut. The, yeah. I think in the back of your head, you always have an opinion of where you think you're headed. Well, right. So you have and an I opinion like, on where you're headed. But, yeah. but if you, let's say you were using your National Geographic example. Yeah. If your plan is to work at National Geographic for the rest of your life and then whatever. Yeah. Then that's your plan. Yes. And I think it's the difference between like strategy and tactics. Strategy is like my strategy is I am going to get into this career path or something like that. That's your strategy. Okay. The tactics are the decisions you make along the way to do that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So you're saying Francesca's got different ones? So Francesca's talking about a plan, I'm like a strategy, about... and you're talking about a plan like tactics. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I think part of my strategy is change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I think that's so, the difference. Francesca's like, I'm going to be doing an art-related something, and whatever pops up in the path of that is what I'm doing now. Or Francesca's like, I'm not going to bother there. with a plan. I'm just going <laughs> to ride the wave. Yeah, and, and then you're, you're just the like, I have to predict what's happening 10 years from now, and I'm going to manipulate whatever in order that to is, get that that's way. That's a good word for me, I think. Is it? <laughs> what? I feel like... You're gonna, you, so you're making your own choices, or you're making your own two choices to choose between. I think I just find comfort in the concept that 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 you connect your past and your interests with anything that you're going to mm-hmm. spend your time on. That's my, that I find comfort in that. And even though I like change, I like predictive change. <laughs> like I like you the like concept. planning the change. I like planning that. Yes, actually I do. <laughs> I don't like surprises and I will, right. I will choose the right, like, what'd you say? The right tactic for well, that's kind of going surprise. back to last week about jumping off a ship or whatever. Lindsay would rather, instead of letting the ship just make the decision for her, she's going to make the decision before it comes. Okay, that's probably exactly what I was trying to say during that. I was just like, I don't like to be kind of... St- at the whim of something else. At the You're, whim of You'd rather just whatever. make a change, even if the change is ultimately the same really thing. Really hard, You want to be yes. in charge of it. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to manage your own perceptions of what you can do if you think you have some control over... Something, anything, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's really helpful because if you do feel like you've got some control over something, you're much more likely to invest. That's what I think. If I, if I invest in time learning Spanish, I, I'm like, well, I chose this. I'm going to do a good job. I'm not just here because I have to be here. Then you can put yourself in situations where it 
becomes a valuable asset. Yeah, it's a valuable asset to have to to learn this new thing. And I think that's the fun part about having having the perception that you, if you're thinking about, you're like, oh, this thing happened, okay. But because it did happen, here is the chain of events that could also be connected to this or here's how the rest of my life is somehow connected to this. I mean, and I know not everybody does that because who would do that, you know? Maybe an obsessive person that <laughs> just likes to think well, I do about like, it that way. It's, it is fun to, like, when you take a language, it's fun to fantasize about what doors are open to you. Yeah. You know, like, it well, is, that's what I'm I saying. love doing that. I really love doing that. The, the crappy thing is, then you put on your headphones and listen to it, and you're like, oh, this is really hard. And then you can't foresee it when you're working on it. That's the weird part, too, is, like, I can... I can have that fantasy when I'm not studying, but when I'm studying, I can't think about that because it gets in the way of, of, because it's studying a new language is kind of mundane and it doesn't, you have to focus on very tiny things, you know? And then when you have that big picture open, it's really hard to focus on little tiny things. You just want to, you just want the words to fall out of your mouth, but instead you're like sitting there and like burning your brain through trying to remember how to say something. So I really like the idea though that the the big picture is what drives you to continue to do the hard stuff. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people if you're stuck in the minutia you probably wouldn't enjoy some of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some yeah. of it's dumb. <laughs> and think, some of yeah. it you just have to get past. Well, that's like when you they know? when they talk about like writing a novel and they're like everyone pictures a writer in like a beautiful coffee shop with like mm-hmm. Their pen and paper. With your finished and, book in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they always picture like the most glamorous version of it. But then like the reality of it is really messy and weird and random. Hard. And hard. Yeah. yeah. But there is the funny thing is there is something really as like like for instance writing is definitely a good example. I am not a writer nor do I write very often. But anytime I read about writers like that Anne Lamott book um, she talks about how it isn't glamorous and it is kind of hard and you are doing it at really inconvenient times and stuff like that, but it still is kind of fun. Like you still take pleasure in this, like this act of putting words on a paper. And I think that stands true to learning something new. It's like, even though it's painful, it's kind of, it's like a workout. It's like kind of good pain. Mm-hmm. You feel really good when you've achieved one tiny thing and you're like, yeah, now I can go to the next one. So it's, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know, if we like wrap it back to this evolution thing, like these tiny changes where you're becoming smaller or also like becoming changing, (laughs) changing the things that you're doing like bit by bit in order to evolve into something else. Like I don't think uh, Nintendo back then were like, you know what we're going to change into a video game thing. And I bet you when they had the chance to no, they probably didn't know it then, but I bet you when they saw technology changing, they were like. That sounds awesome. But it was probably really slow, like a really slow yeah, change. I mean, you don't that's even That's the thing see. is like you don't even, I think any animal who is evolving never like is like, and he's like, no, I got a spike <laughs> on my tail or something like that. You know, uh, it's a slow, gradual thing that, that no single moment in time is going to like. Yeah, and like happening. any any generation of that thing would never even know the changes happening. Right. Until like yeah. you look at a million years of that, thing. and that's why Francesca even taking these Chinese things lessons, and then she's like, "Ah, this nothing's going to come to this." You know, like ten years now, when you're a diplomat to foreign relations in China or something like that, you'll be like, "Remember that time on the podcast when I didn't even know why I was doing this?" But that's what I like about the the like not being able to foresee is the fact that you don't even know. Who even knows? You are knows? opening up doors, but you you have no idea where they go. They could go anywhere. They could I go like nowhere. The idea of a small child pushing a square through a circle hole. <laughs> and eventually what? they do it enough and it grinds the edges off. And then and there you have it. And then you have, yeah, it, the piece has evolved into the yeah. proper shape. Into a circle square. Yeah. Yep. That's a, I like that. I like that concept. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> So, but it's funny. I I think that that uh, you know I like the idea of you're you're working towards something. But yes, you're right. Your your environment does often make you make those changes either faster or slower than you want to. And of course, it's like the hanged man card. Like you can't mm-hmm. really, you know, 
Yeah. You just got to hang out sometimes and just deal with it. But you're hanging out actually does something else too. It's all mm-hmm. for a reason. There's mm-hmm. my mystical part of that. Anyway, I think this was a good um, conversation. It's funny. I, I We think about it all the time. As we get to the end of the year, and, you know, we still have a couple weeks here. I am constantly thinking about what's next? What are we doing? And it's not like it has to be attached to the end of the year, but it always is, you know? It's always something you think about and you're like, I could do anything. And you could think that all day, all day in the middle of summer too, but nobody does. You know, they're like, yeah. I just got to get this done. But I do like that sometimes once a year you're forced to think about your your planned evolution if you can, you know, and that's kind of where my brain is now. So maybe I'll make my list. So yeah. So where can people... List? What? Your New Year's list or your evolution list? Both. It's all connected. I'm sure it's good. So um, where can people find us if they want to tell us their evolution list? They can email us at podcast at lightgrayartlab.com. You can find us on Twitter. We're at lightgrayartlab. You can like us on Facebook and find out about upcoming openings, events, all sorts of stuff. You can find us on Tumblr. We're lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. You can subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store, stream it directly on Stitcher Radio, and you can even follow us on Instagram. We're lightgrayartlab. Yes, we are. I like that we have evolved to have Instagram now. So thanks again, you guys, for listening to our podcast this week. And we'll talk with you soon. Bye.